This is On the Fence Physio, a project designed to drive discussion around those gray topics in physiotherapy. If a professor ever answered your question with, it depends, this is where you want to be. We might not figure out the correct answer, but we will try to answer the question in every single possible way. This is a discussion forum directed at healthcare providers around issues in physiotherapy, but we also welcome viewpoints from patients. That being said, this podcast is not medical advice. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, seek out a legitimate licensed medical provider. Now, on to the show. Welcome to another episode of On the Fence Physio. I am your host, as always, Andy Wiseman, physical therapist in the Maryland area, and I am joined by my lovely, my luxurious, my vivacious um, co-host, Matthew Owens. How are you doing tonight, Matt? Hey, I'm doing very well, Andy. It's great to see you and talk to you again. It's been way too long. Way too long, yes. We had a brief delay in um, recording these episodes, so we apologize to our two to three listeners out there. Um, thanks, Mom, for tuning in. <laughs> but uh, Matt moved into a house that not only did it not have internet so that we can complete these video calls and our perform our podcast, uh, didn't have electricity to start. So I think uh, he is currently sitting on an exercise bike pedaling to keep this uh, feed going. Is that right, Matt? Very close. We just got the electricity finished um, this past week, rewired the house, and had internet installed today. The first ethernet port ever put into this house. So here I am sitting in the dark under a lamp because we haven't put in light fixtures yet. (laughs) My goodness, I did not know houses this old still existed. (laughs) Most of them have burned down by now or... Things like that. Somehow this one's still around. All right. Well, in the you know in the gap between episodes, CSM, the Combined Sections Meeting, which was done completely virtually this year, has been going on. Any hot takes, Matt, on CSM? Uh, Mark Returno is still putting out ACL research. That's my hot take on CSM <laughs> so far. <laughs> The sun still comes up in the east, the grass is still green, and Mark Paterno loves to talk about little kids and their ACLs. That is <laughs> guarantees of life. Um, yes, so we are planning to do an entire episode where we catch up on things we learned at CSM, different talks we listened to, different calls we participated in, and kind of all of our thoughts on all that. We don't want to spoil all that now, so save those thoughts, and we will get back to you soon with a summary. Good plan? Sounds good to me, Andy. Yeah. All right. Well, we do need to talk about our discussion thread. Our discussion thread was started back in February. It was a month that happened this year, and our discussion thread was talking about cash versus insurance as far as paying for physical therapy. So when the payer changes, should care change? Does care change? How does care change in physical therapy? Obviously, Matt and I 
work in outpatient settings. I would say that this is a conversation mostly focused in outpatient care. I don't think there are a lot of inpatient facilities that um, people are trying to pay for cash based, but maybe I'm wrong. If I am wrong, please reach out to us on Twitter. You can tweet. Um, you can tweet me at uh, Owens underscore DPT. <laughs> Send me all your hate mail. <laughs> all the hate mail. Send it to that one. um so anyway what are your what 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 did we what do we learn in this conversation matt about talking about insurance-based versus cash-based um how does that change for the patient so patient walks in you know like what from from their perspective maybe what changes or what can we anticipate will change based on insurance-based, third-party payer, or first-party, I guess, first-party payer, first-party shooter, first-person shooter. (laughs) I like that. I think, so the biggest thing is the patient sees the money coming out of their hand directly into the hand of their provider with a cash-based system. Otherwise, you have this middleman insurance. And even with a a co-pay, I feel that most of my patients uh, have this idea that the insurance company is absorbing the lion's share of the cost and that the insurance company is kind of helping them be able to afford physical therapy. Okay. Um, I agree with that. I also think that there are some other situations. So from, you know, our on the fence brand, I have to talk about all the situations and I have um, experienced patients who see it as, this is a great opportunity for them to get back some of their money from the insurance company because they've been paying these premiums for year in and year out for a long time. And this is their chance to find the cash, get some cash back because they think they see it as this is the way that the insurance company finally starts having to pay. So not only are they thinking, Hey, you know, like I'm getting, I'm paying my copay and going to physical therapy, but I'm also getting my insurance company to pay for the maximum amount of therapy that I could want. So I do think there is this um, maybe a misconstrued thing that having a third-party payer will make patients feel um, more responsible for their plan of care, um, as in you know being good stewards of the money, or you know like that being a cash base will make patients better stewards of the money. But I think it could probably fall on either side. Is that patients you know could either try to maximize services and maximize cost for either system. So I don't think it really changes too much about patient behavior in regards to um, good stewardship of their finances. Or do you find that different? Well, the biggest difference I would see is how good the good quote unquote, the patient's insurance is we see less and less of these Cadillac plans after the Affordable Care Act passed where you had unlimited visits, authorization for whatever you needed and wanted, and more and more insurance plans are being now governed by another third party, Um, a a, a pre-authorization a group who looks over and they decide if they think they should submit that to the insurance company. So we have another middleman in, a fourth in party? Luke, yeah, maybe a fourth party uh, to really look out for the insurance company's best interests to help try to protect them against those patients or providers who are like, Hey, I can do whatever I want. The insurance company needs to pay for it because I've paid my premium. 
and we have that fourth party, I guess, now in the mix yeah. as well, trying to keep sides in balance. Wow, that is all rather complex and also makes me, makes me feel a bit filthy because whenever we are healthcare providers starting to talk about money, that's when I start feeling a little bit gross because I, I don't want to sound cheesy, but I'm in the business of making people feel better, you know, trying to make people do better and trying to make people get people back to like their goals. And when it starts coming down to a price tag on that, I feel bad because patients that are in tough financial situations, whether it be because of unemployment due to this global pandemic that's been going on or just, you know, unemployment for other reasons, or they just, you know, are working a job that maybe doesn't provide enough finances to throw around extra money at helping them recover from an injury that happened. Oh, I uh, I don't I don't want to charge the money. I almost want to provide the services pro bono, but that's not sustainable. And I need to make an income too. How do we get around that guilt that comes along with uh, being a healthcare provider and needing to make a paycheck? Matt, do you have any suggestions? Well, after you start to have children, then you feel like, <laughs> oh, I need to feed them, so I feel less guilty stealing money from. My poor patient, because if I don't take their money, then my kid won't eat. Oh, good. <laughs> well rationalized. Uh, children are important. Um, I think that is a difficult part of the healthcare profession. I've talked to other professions too. It's not just healthcare. Um, for example, I had a patient this week who um, ha owns a hardware store now because he was a mortician and felt terrible about having to talk to a family about, oh yeah, you're going to be in this much debt and I, you need to charge you this many thousands of dollars to care for your loved one and provide this service um, that celebrates their life. Um, so it's not just us, not just healthcare providers who are faced sometimes with giving a service to customers that or patients or however you want to, what um, nomenclature you want to use that maybe can't afford it. So is there any benefit in cash-based or insurance-based for this type of situation, Andy? What do you think? Oh, that is a good, that is a really good question. I do feel, so this is um, one of my personal feelings, is that one of the tricks of the trade that I will use to kind of deal with some of my own healthcare provider guilt and I like to give specific examples because I do feel like the more podcasts I listen to, the more general advice I get. Because if you give general advice, that's always most likely going to be right. If you give specific advice, that's when you're most likely going to be wrong. But I'm going to give a spe very specific scenario. Uh, if I have a patient who has a $50 copay, which is kind of on the higher side, and coming in paying $50 every time you see me, and our appointments are 40-minute blocks of one-on-one -on -one time. So... It is more than a dollar a minute, which does seem kind of steep for some patients that are in different, you know, financial situations. I will tell them, you know, if they make a comment to me about, oh, I had to pay 50 bucks for your time. And I went, hey, you know, I paid over $50,000 in tuition for this education. And not only am I going to share that education with you for that $50 fee, I'm going to handpick the most valuable parts of it to you. And I'm going to explain it to you in a way that you can understand and you can remember for the rest of your life. 
you get that all for the low, low price of $50. <laughs> I promise you it'll be worth it when your knee, ankle, whatever, starts feeling better. Because <laughs> our education is worth something. And it's, you know, like what the universities value at, you know, depending on what university you went to, Indiana University, thank God for giving me a good in-state tuition. <laughs> I know some of those people who are, you know, these students maybe are listening at like University of South California are like, uh, I paid five times that, excuse me. <laughs> well, I think you were bamboozled unless they, you know, like, you know, gave you gold plated goineometers as a graduation gift. I don't know why you would pay that much for a PT degree. I think that's a good, I think that's a good concrete example, Andy, because when patients go to say their physician and they're given access to like a life saving saving medication or something like that, there's an inherent value within that. And I think as physical therapists with our patients, I don't think we honestly can oversell the just good general knowledge we have that can honestly save them so much money. Hey, you're paying me $50 for the scope. I'm going to, show you how to do X, Y, and Z, that's going to save you hopefully $30,000 down the road when you don't have to have that surgery or you don't um, have to be laid off work because you can go back to your job. And I think that's a good way to come about it and a good way to tell your patients, like, this is why I feel that this is valuable. If you feel it's valuable, keep coming, keep paying it. If you don't, and I'm not helping you, move on. Yeah. All right. Good. Um, I think some of the discussion we had on Twitter was talking about how cash base can give you some more freedom. So one of the longtime fans and participants in our show, uh, physical therapist Kelly Clark, another Indiana University grad, shout out, go Hoosiers, yeah, yeah, something like that. We're not in the NCAA tournament, but that's all right. We're still good at physical therapy. Oh, yeah, they're still having it this year. I'm excited, in a way, to watch that. All in Indiana. <laughs> It's also St. Uh, Patrick's Day today, so if any of you are just wasted drinking green beer right now on a Wednesday night. I can't say St. Patrick's Day came into my mind too much today since there is not a whole lot to do other than drink in large crowds, which is something you should not be doing right now. If you're considering doing that, please don't. Says every healthcare provider I've ever met. Public service <laughs> announcement. Public service announcement. Thank you. Um, but Kelly Clark was saying that getting control over your plan of care is something you get when you switch to cash-based care. So you can determine how many visits, you can determine the length of the plan of care, you can determine what you want to do in those visits, and you just get in, you know, whatever codes you want to bill, or you know, they don't matter as much, and you just get a lot more autonomy in deciding what's best for your patient. And I think that is the best and should be pretty much the only argument, in my opinion, for cash-based is that it just allows you to provide what the patient needs without any strings attached. Is there any other reason? <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about some of those because we are on the fence physio and that is our job is to talk about all the different reasons. All the different reasons are trying to argue with each other about these things. So if I'm trying to take the opposite point of view, I would say that being a cash-based practitioner 
versus insurance based, it really, in my mind, doesn't give you any more control over the patient's plan of care. All it does is give you less hoops maybe to jump through to try to provide that plan of care. With insurance-based uh, reimbursement, you are going to apply for um, authorization to do certain treatments. If those treatments aren't authorized, your patient still has the option to sign on that dotted line of an advanced beneficiary notice and say, yes, I know my insurance company won't pay this, but I want to pay for it. There's still a cash-based option, option even with an insurance plan. Um, and then on the other side of things, it's a little bit concerning to me to hear physical therapists say like, okay, I need to be able to provide all of these treatments that the insurance company won't reimburse for when typically the insurance company's reason for why they're reimbursing or not reimbursing for something is based on just general evidence and best practice. Now, obviously you run into those areas where you know, they're trying to deny services for an ACL reconstruction after four weeks because your patient can now walk without a crutch and they're okay in their daily activities, right? Um, and maybe that's all that patient's insurance will pay for. Um, and that doesn't have to stop you from completing care. The patient can continue on, likely, paying cash-based for a service that they feel is needed to get back to the level of function they want. So I, on one hand understand um, where that argument is coming from. It just takes away some of those hoops, but I don't think it really gives you any more control over what you and the patient decide to do for them. Uh, it just adds another layer of complexity. And I think that's really the reason I think that most providers switch from an insurance-based model to a cash-based model is they just want to cut out that middleman. They don't want to have to deal with insurance companies. They don't want to have to maybe even pay a front office staff person to negotiate contract rates and apply and send faxes and all those things. If anything, you're going to cut down on overhead. And that's something that I've um, seen even in that thread on our Twitter post, which is eye-opening is, okay, if you're not paying for this ancillary staff and you're not paying to try to negotiate rates, you're not paying for all these other things, hey, maybe I can provide this service for less to the patient and still cover my overhead and pay myself a salary. And I think that is a legitimate argument to say that we could make healthcare more affordable by hmm. cutting out the middleman because now we don't have all that overhead. Sure, so affordability is a good argument. I would say that one area of the affordability that we could talk about is accessibility. So especially in our lower socioeconomic um, brackets, the being able to use Medicaid, right? Federally, social medicine, right? <laughs> being able to get support from the federal government and have them provide you know, the payments for the services because any cost, any cost out of pocket to that patient would be too much for them to bear financially and getting them back to work, getting them back to being able to take care of things would be an incredible boon for them. So Medicaid services, I think, provide accessibility. And I honestly think it's, it's probably too complicated. Here I am sitting as a, you know, someone in a good financial situation. I've never tried to apply to Medicaid, but I have to assume based on patient stories that I've heard is that getting Medicaid can be challenging already enough. 
if we have physical therapy practices that are not taking Medicaid, if we are switching more physical therapy practices to cash-based models, that's going to decrease the number of clinics that are able to take Medicaid patients. It's going to overburden the clinics that are taking Medicaid patients. And Medicaid patients, you know, might have a harder time with transportation already. And if we're making them travel farther to find a clinic that'll finally take them and then making them wait longer because those clinics are overburdened, can we see how accessibility might become an issue if we step away from third-party payers in the outpatient PT practice? Yeah, for sure. And as somebody who has had Medicaid or a healthy Indiana plan in the past, the largest hurdle to medical care is the restriction to providers. So there's so many providers, even in just general health, whether that's your dentist, your optometrist, your family physician that don't accept Medicaid patients because of how poorly Medicaid reimburses them. Um, And I know as a physical therapist in many outpatient clinics can't afford, quote unquote, to accept a Medicaid patient because their hour or 60 minutes or four units of billing does not cover the cost. Um, I've heard one physical therapist say uh, that in uh, their practice, if a Medicaid patient came in, it was better for them just to give them 20 bucks and say, here, take this $20 and try to find treatment somewhere else and it costs them less money to just give them 20 bucks and tell them to walk out the door than to stay in their (laughs) clinic. And that's just something, I mean, just from a social perspective that, you know, that would be great if that could change and Medicaid could at least reimburse to the point where they could have services. That's how I felt whenever I had that insurance. It's like, well, I have this free insurance, but it's no good because it doesn't work on anything. On the other side of things, yeah, I know I I completely agree that if you're taking away any access to that, what are those um, patients going to do? On the other side of things, I mean, you had talked about many years ago, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but like, oh, I could start a clinic and I would just have no costs and it would just be, you pay me what you felt like it was worth. Now you can (laughs) maybe keep your clinic doors open with uh, patients who don't have any money, right? Maybe you can't survive off $5 a patient or $2 a patient, but you don't, maybe it would it'd balance out. I don't know if that, you know, that's just, there's some ways we got to be able to think outside the box. And I don't have any answers on this podcast for that. Um, but for me, just as a provider, it's probably, that's what makes me feel more icky than taking and having people pay me to help them is when I tell someone that I can't help them because their insurance won't pay me enough, you know, and that's something I don't feel good about. Mm-hmm. So not to uh, get on my high horse about these things too, but one of my major concerns with switching to a cash-based practice, trying not to let all my biases in here, but they are pushing in the door. So um, in our APTA code of ethics, we are instructed to inform our patients of any financial conflicts of interest that we have that could affect their care. And while that might be thing, you know, the, I think most common example of that would be if you are a representative for a certain PT product and you're trying to push that PT product in your practice, you should definitely divulge that to your patients that, hey, I get a kickback from every time I sell one of these, whatever it is, orthosis or piece of, you know, DME, whatever it is, you're getting a kickback and you need to divulge that to your patients. If you're not, that is a major ethical concern. 
But a slightly more subtle one is if you are a cash-based practice and the amount of money that you take home to your family, let's say you have, I don't know, three and a half kids at home and you, and you want to feed them, you want to put food on the table. And if your practice is based on how much you are charging your patients and how many visits, how many times they're coming a week, how many visits they do in their plan of care, all of these things drive your profit in a cash-based care, in cash-based care. Um, is there any maybe possible incentive then for you to recommend more care than maybe that patient needs um, because of the financial incentives that you have placed upon yourself as that is your business and you're a healthcare provider. It's a great point because as a clinician in a large corporation or in a large hospital, it's easier to separate yourself from that side of things. Cause you can like never know how much you actually build someone, never know how much they actually paid. Um, even in our practice, in like an outpatient clinic where the front office is there and I'm, I'm here. I know my patients look at the front office completely different than they look at me. They look at me as their healthcare provider. I don't normally see any, um, I don't know, hate or disgruntlement or anything like that. And that same patient can go up to the front office who's now they're like the billing people, right. And be so frustrated with them about something. And they've never said anything to me because I'm their, I'm their healthcare provider. And I think, we see this in physical therapy. Personally, I see it as people move up the management ladder. You start to see, oh, why are they so concerned about this many units or this and that is because now there's this direct correlation from a financial uh, profit to then maybe a bonus or a salary or the success of the clinic. Whereas when you can just be a lowly clinician and give good care, really you can go throughout your day and not even think about the cost or the benefit to yourself at all. And you really can just focus on getting the patient better. I think if your patient is giving you money straight to you, you're the business person, you're the owner. I don't see how there can't be an incentive to try to maybe eke out a little more. Or, oh, we need to keep the lights on. I need two more visits this month. Hell, let's try, let's try two times a week for two weeks instead of a, a one visit in HEP. You know, I, for me, I don't think I could separate it. Man, and if you can't do it, you are the most ethical and just pure angelic person that I know. And if you can't do it, I don't know if anyone can. I know that I couldn't. And I frequently tell my patients when they ask me about their plan of care, when they say like that I'm recommending a certain number of visits or a certain duration, or I say, I tell them, hey, I'm a salaried employee. I get paid the exact same whether you're here, whether you're not here, whether you, we do 10 visits, whether we do two visits. I get paid the same. So I have no incentive to recommend any more for you than the, than what you need to get better. <laughs> and I love being able to say that because it makes me feel clean, but I know in the back of my head that I still have some financial pressures because if I start just billing very minimal units and I start, you know, my metrics start dropping, my productivity starts dropping, someone will have a conversation with me that could, <laughs> That could uh, be um, pressure in some way. So I, I know even even our salaried PTs that are separate still have productivity standards. If you're working for somebody, and there still is a con, uh, it is a conflict of interest. You know, it's a it's a mild one. It's an indirect one, but it still influences your decision making as a healthcare provider. And I really do think one of the things that 
is a real ethical concern for our profession is being able to differentiate out healthcare provider versus business person. Okay. And your decision making for your patient should be separate from financial gain. Now it shouldn't be separate from financial consideration. As we've talked about is that we need to consider what are our patient's financial situations and make appropriate plan of care decisions based on those. So if they are, have significant financial limitations, you need to create a plan of care that's going to fit around those. So it is not to say that we shouldn't consider money at all when it comes to making our healthcare decisions that patients with a lot of free time and a lot of free cash laying around would benefit would get more but you do have to consider like patients who don't have those resources creating a plan that fits within the resources that they have but just because a patient has more resources doesn't mean you should make them have more care <laughs> i think another part of that or the flip side of the coin when you're talking about us as either healthcare providers or like business owners my question and that I think I would struggle with a little bit from a cash-based perspective is a client versus patient uh, demographic. Um, so for me, and we had this discussion a little bit, and I think in my own mind I had to backtrack on what I was thinking because I was wrong. Um, but my initial thought was as a provider to the patient through an insurance company payer, I feel a responsibility to both the patient and the payer, the insurance company, to give services that um, take them both into consideration, that being, okay, the insurance company doesn't want to pay for this cool new modality that's on the cutting edge of research that I love and want to give my patient and think will make them better. Insurance doesn't want to pay for it because, you know, it's not backed by research or something like that. I don't know, but it works on all my patients, so it has to be good. And I, I think then it's easier for me to say to the patient, okay, we, you know, it's not going to be reimbursed because it's not really well proven yet um, and so on. So it's an easy way to not do that treatment. Whereas a cash base, I think if a patient was coming off the street and asking me for the specific treatment that they heard works great. And in the back of my mind, we'll put it in the opposite. I'm like, oh, this isn't really that evidence-based. It, pro it probably doesn't work. Maybe a little placebo. But the patient really wants it and they've got the cash right in front of me to pay for it. It's going to be more difficult for me to have that honest conversation with them and be like, hey, this doesn't work. Do you still want to pay for it? Um, I think I would be tempted to sell it to try to get even a better placebo effect. All right, they already believe in it. All right, let's tell them like, all right, we're going to try it. We'll see if it works for you. I don't even have to tell them it works. I just have to not crush their dreams that it's going to make them feel better. Um, so I think for me, that's something from a patient or client. I don't know if that's a good differentiation between the two. Uh, but I think that would be hard for me in the cash-based model if patients are coming to me asking for this cool new treatment that I don't really think is evidence-based, but they still want to pay for it. What's my role in that, or how do you feel um, a client versus patient model impacts your care in that situation, Andy? I know what you do. You tell them anyway, this is a load of crap. If you want it, you can pay it for me, but it's not going to work. Okay, cool. Thank you. I, I do feel, I, well, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. And that is a, um, is a tough situation. And I do feel like as healthcare providers, we can't be salesmen. We need to be honest with our treatment. So even if they are, even if you are in a cash-based scenario, 
If a patient is asking you to provide a treatment that you do not think would provide any additional benefit to that patient's plan of care outside of you know placebo or supertentorial effects, and they are pressuring you to do it with money, right, with a financial incentive, you need to look at that as almost like a bribe. There's a bribe for you to do something that is not in in your best interest as a medical provider, and you should not accept that money, and you should not do that treatment. I hear a lot of you know angry buzzing. <laughs> Maybe it's just in my head, but people saying like, "Oh, well, is it really going to hurt them? You know, is it is it going to cause any?" Yes, yes, it will. Even if it doesn't cause them physical harm, the psychological implications of you, a healthcare provider, providing a treatment that is not evidence-based and has no backing to it is going to cause psychological changes in that patient where now they believe that they have been validated by a healthcare provider with a license. And the next healthcare provider that they see, they're going to tell them about you. Be like, my previous PT did this thing. Why aren't you doing this thing? You must be an awful PT because that PT was great did exactly what I asked when I paid money. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's, that's a good, good, uh, way to frame the argument. I think the other side of it too is, a a cash based, I mean, and this maybe isn't any different. You can tell me if you think it's any different between cash or insurance based, but I feel like there could be more pressure to provide a unique service that sets you apart. Right. You got to compete as a business, but the thing is that's true for third party payers too. The third-party payers are trying to compete as businesses as well. So they are trying to market their things. They're trying to market to the payers by saying like, hey, look, check out our photo scores. We get patients better faster than those other guys over there because we use blah, 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 or we use this sticky tape, or we use this sharp needle, whatever it is, right? <laughs> that that's, that's happening on both sides. So I'm not going to pin that one on cash-based practices because – even in third-party payer clinics, they try to come up with unique marketing things to try to set them apart. And those are things that might not be covered by the payers, but they market them to patients anyway. Because, yeah, I mean, cool new stuff is cool new stuff. And the only thing better than your favorite toy is a new toy, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on cash versus third-party payer? All right. Last thought, and you might want you you wanted to challenge me on this one, so I got to bring it up. And this will be this will sum everything up. And this will be this could be its an entire own episode. Yeah, get yourself ready, mentally prepared. <laughs> uh, we are in a system, right, that provides financial incentive to provide more care. We are in a service-based reimbursement in outpatient physical therapy. So the more units you bill, the more treatments you do, the more visits you do, the more money you get from whatever whatever payer, whether it be third party or whether it be first party. Um, that in itself never is going to drive physical therapists and physical therapist practices to do value-based care to try to get people the maximal amount of improvement, maximal potential benefit at the lowest available cost. Because we are incentivizing physical therapists to do more because we're gonna pay them more. So I don't think that in a, 
in a um, cat, you know, service, you know, reimbursed, you know, system that we're in, cash for service, that we are ever going to see the push towards value-based care. Yeah. So just to clarify, nothing that is fee for service promotes value-based care. Zero. Zero. Yeah. That is an absolute. I, when you said that, I was like, "Wow, this is." He's like, he's not on the fence at all about this. This no. is like an absolute um, thing, and it's it's tough because I think in a cash based system, I could argue the opposite. In that, in a cash based system, the fee for service model could promote value-based care if everyone was cash-based and you could say, hey, I provide the most value for the least amount of cost to the patient. Okay, so just from like an undercutting other businesses model, they're saying, <laughs> so just lowering the cost. Lowering the cost. And so that could improve quote-unquote value if you're still providing really good care and not charging as much. No, but I, it's hard to argue that point. The hard thing I think right now and what I'm, looking at from a third-party payer perspective is what we are seeing is every time the business of physical therapy tries to find the maximum amount of dollars to squeeze out of the insurance company, the insurance company looks at the squeeze and switches up the rules and then the company or business figures out the different way to go around it and, and vice versa and back and forth. And this is where I don't know if there's a long-term plan in place on either side from an insurance company or a business perspective. I think both have this idea that they're eventually going to win out over the other. And from a PT only side, what I see is every time there's a push to build a different unit or to keep people this many more minutes or to do this thing. Maybe it'll be that way for the year to get a little more money, but the next year it's going to change again because the insurance company is going to see what you're doing and they're going to switch it again. And none of that is valuable. I don't think to the patient um, when we're thinking about those types of things and not about what the patient needs to get better. Right. Or get what needs for care, you know? Yeah, that's it right there. None of this matters to the patient because they just want to get better. And I would say none of this really matters to the good PTs out there. If you are thinking, I don't want to think about money. I just want to try to get my patients better. I think you're a good PT. I really do. At least good as in like you're a good person. I don't know if that necessarily means you're good at your job. Maybe you are. If you're listening to this podcast, you must be good at your job. Of course you are, right? Okay. <laughs> um, but yes, I know talking about money like this is not fun and it makes me feel a little gross about it, but I want to say quite strongly what we've learned in this podcast is that you can be a cash-based physical therapist and be good at your job, provide a value-based care, provide evidence-based care, and make good decisions as long as you consider your ethics and you can do the exact same thing in a third-party payer system. So really, it's not about who the payer is. It's about what you do as the physical therapist. Do you provide value-based, evidence-based, and compassionate care 
to your patients and try to take into account financial situations. Well said. That was a good summary. I, I concur. <laughs> Great. Okay. So what should we talk about next episode? Matt brought up a great idea, great idea. Um, and this is something that I've definitely been tooling around with and have sometimes a trouble teaching my um, students that rotate on affiliations is the movement-based, the movement system, movement-based diagnosis versus pathoanatomical diagnosis. I feel like um, in school, I was only taught pathoanatomical ways of thinking. In residency, my residency was all about those movement-based diagnoses. And I've tried to tie the two together in my own little hodgepodge way that now I am forcing upon the youths that unfortunately have to rotate through my clinic. <laughs> Unlucky ones. And I would love to talk about when is pathoanatomical diagnosis great? When is it not? When is movement-based diagnosis great? And when is it not? And when should we use these things? I think that would be a great topic for our next episode. Yep, I'm all for it. I hope we get some good interaction on a Twitter sphere um, this, this go around because I think there's a lot to be said on both sides. And there seems to be some strong, very strong opinions on both sides of this fence. Right. So no matter which side of the fence you find yourself on, please find us on Twitter at OTF Physio, on the fence physio, and join in on our next conversation. We will be bringing you a summary via podcast form. We also have some future content planned now that Matthew is back in the light of modern electricity. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Have a wonderful day slash night wherever you are. And thank you for listening to On the Fence Physio. Good night.